0: It's no secret that we are not fans of buying the stock that is built by most developers, but we are pragmatic about this because more housing does need to be constructed. Is it possible for developers and builders to be driven by purpose rather than profit? Or is this just a pipe dream, rather like organic food, where only a small portion of society can actually afford to pay the premium? Welcome to the elephant in the room. This is the podcast where we love to talk about the big things in property that never usually get get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, fires agent, co-host of Fox Deals Location, Location, Location Australia and author of Auction Ready.
1: And I'm Chris Bates, mortgage broker. Before we get started, I need to let you know that nothing we say on here can be taken as personal advice. We always recommend you engage the services of a professional.
0: Don't forget that you can access the transcript for this episode on the website as well as download our free full or forecast report which experts can you trust to get it right the elephant in the au. today we're going to explore the possibility of architecture as a tool to affect positive social change It's an exciting idea and one that's held by Shannon Peach the director and head of development of milieu a melbourne based firm that views development as a creative act Shannon has experience managing multiple medium and high-density residential and mixed-use projects across Australia, working in collaboration with a number of architects and interior design firms, and we're very excited to be having this conversation with you today, Shannon. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you, Veronica. It was uh, lovely to be invited here, and
1: nice to meet you as well, Chris. Oh, good. Thanks for coming on, Shannon. I guess um, as a builder who's you know, from the outside in is looking like you're trying to build a better product for a better quality of life for the people who buy your buildings. Do you guys see yourselves as like out in front and trying to drag the rest of the industry up or do you see the industry is already um, systemically making that yeah, change? Yeah, it's a
2: really interesting point. Um, in one way, I, I guess... We we kind of think of ourselves as as having blinkers on as much as possible. We try and stay in our lane um, and stay really true to to I guess the principles of of why we established the business and um, we've been doing um, heading in the same direction of of owner occupier um, focused. Um, boutique scale developments since day one since since we started um over 10 years ago now and through that time there's been all sorts of of market conditions um i think when we, we first started out uh, apartment development was um certainly the the majority and, and i think statistically the majority is still um investor focused apartments and um larger uh, tower type buildings and and really um these kinds of multi-residential that that's built more as a as a commodity um rather than than focusing on that they're going to be homes for people so we've always tried to stay true to our our principles and then um through various property cycles um developers of of all scales and and um locally, nationally, internationally, um, have, I guess, all all started to to see the value um, in moving into that space. Um, so there's there's definitely a lot more mm. competition um, at, at our scale now.
0: You know, so the business started, what, 10 years ago? I think you joined, what, seven years ago?
2: 2010, yeah. Um, so it was... Years ago. Um, uh, yeah, conversation between um, Ross and, and Michael. So, yeah, just a, a, a kind of an aspiration um, and, and a, a really a vision for, for a, a type of, of business. Um, at the time, Michael and I were working together um, for another development business. So, we've, we've both worked um, in development um, professionally our, our entire careers. Um, and uh, Ross was recently retired out of um, a family construction business, so um, they they got the the, the business um, on its feet. Whilst Michael and I were still still working, and um, once we had a bit of momentum, uh, we we quit our day jobs and um, got into got our sleeves rolled up full time in about 2013.
0: So it's it's obviously there's an, a, there's a, a passion there must be a passion underlying this. Why would you bother going the hard way when, you know, plenty of other, other developers are just punching out cookie cutter stuff, flogging it to investors, mm. flogging it to 1st home buyers, people who don't know any better, um, making a profit and cutting and run. And whereas you guys are approaching it very, very differently. And, and look, to be quite frank, I see synergies with, in a way, how I approach being in the, you know, the real estate space, you know, it's, The vast majority of people See the opportunity to make money And it's easy Relatively to make money It's easier actually to make money Than it is to make these decisions To actually go down the values-based path Um, And then a lot of people think you're an idiot So (laughs) Yeah But then again, there's this whole argument about the 21st century business versus the 20th century business. And the 20th century business model is very much that profit focus, profit first. Whereas in the 21st century, there's a lot of sort of academia around this and a lot of thought leadership around this, that business is really moving towards this sort of purpose-led business. So it's not to say we don't want to make a profit, but it's just to say that purpose is number one. Profit, you know, hopefully will follow if you've got good viable purpose. Do Do you see that it's, changing I mean the thing is that now that particularly in Victoria you've and and in Brisbane and and now coming in Sydney we're seeing evidence that people aren't making any money so the buyers of the properties that have been buying the cookie cutter stuff haven't been making any money you've seen evidence that they're not that great to live in you know you've seen evidence of defects you've seen evidence of really of a very broken system in terms of development are you know 10 11 years down the track is there a glimmer of hope is there a Potential for a movement, more of a groundswell in favour of development in a different way.
2: Yeah, I think so. Um, we have, yeah, it is certainly the the, the more expensive, um, less profitable um, path to go down is, um, I guess, investing in quality, um, quality design, and, and quality construction, which is. Um, paramount to to how we we approach it in terms of um passion you're absolutely right we we are everyone everyone in the, the whole team is extremely passionate about what they do and and committed um to the same cause which is is to be creating um beautiful homes for people that 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 people are going to enjoy um we're going to have an ongoing relationship with the people that live in those um buildings um and the people that walk by them um so yeah we we don't know any any other way apart from um staying true to that that passionate commitment um it's it's certainly a a groundswell um across the our industry and, and many other industries. I think, as, as you said, that um, people really want to see um, investment and, um, yeah, more homes, um, more density for, for people that, that is something that they can be proud of um, many, many years into the future.
1: I mean Shannon you mentioned a few things here where uh, some of the problems so firstly the a lot of apartments are being for investors and so you guys have gone down the owner occupy route um, you've also sort of highlighted that it's not so much just around the building it's the community around that building it's it's the how does that fit in you know a lot of the problems with the old uh, way of building apartments is you just build them as high as you can it doesn't matter if it looks good from the outside as long as you can sell them I guess um, how does sort of Miller sort of approach the higher density in the middle rings you know where do you guys sit on that debate where um you know traditionally apartments are getting built in little pockets and maybe say around Collingwood sort of Fitzroy or um South Yarra but it's not sort of spreading across the whole city how do how you guys see that yeah we're,
2: we're obviously uh, huge advocates for densifying um the middle-ring suburbs uh, of our, our big cities—that the places in which that already have existing infrastructure, social um, and educational, and and employment infrastructure that can be better utilised um, by densifying um, those those areas. Um, unfortunately, I guess nimbyism is um is pretty synonymous with australian culture about as synonymous as mate pies and johnny farnham um so i don't think it's solely symptomatic of a a generational or or, or a class divide i think it's um probably just as a result of decades of of really clunky and, and patchy planning policy implementation um, and unfortunately, um, what it means is we, we program and budget for all of our um, project applications to be decided by the VCAT, the State Planning Tribunal, here um, because there's just not enough uh, clarity about what's, what is good design um, and, and what should be built where. Um, uh, we even take it as far, and this is probably... Contrary to to many within our industry, um, but we think that more more mandatory controls on, on planning would just make it a lot clearer um, for everyone.
0: I like, agree. Do you know it, a bit- it's a level as-
2: playing ground?
0: As a Sydney-sider though, whenever I go down to Melbourne, it's been a while, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm always interested because it does seem like Melbourne buildings, the newer buildings are more interesting and I'm, I I guess I'm not talking so much about residential here but I'm just, you know, they're more interesting to look at than Sydney buildings.
2: It's yeah, it's, like, a, it's a it's a, fine balance I guess because you do want innovation, um, you do want just um, not to be building um, a, a box essentially within within a, a pre-approved planning envelope. So, yeah, it, it, I guess some flexibility um, in terms of design controls does lead to some some pretty um, interesting um, architectural outcomes. And um, yeah, we're we're really lucky. We we work almost solely um, with local architects. Um, I, I guess yeah, it sort of heralds back to. Um, milieu and, and being, by definition, referring to the, the space or environment in which one lives or is influenced by. So this means we're inspired by the culture uh, of our cities and um, our buildings responding to the places that that they're designed or built for. So it's it's not a case of um, a milieu aesthetic and and plonking a building that is, looks like us in in every location that we want to develop in, nor is it working with mm. one architect that just has one style and <laughs> we, we use that everywhere. We use architects who um, probably their office is in with, within walking distance, probably they walk past the, the site um, on their way to work and um, they really understand the, the social and um, neighbourhood fabric and, and can design a building that really mm. responds to that. We look overseas certainly still though for inspiration we've got um one initiative that we we started it was kind of one of these lockdown initiatives um where we we were spending a bit more time at home and um we were really jealous i guess of of how architects have this um sort of collegial kind of um support um networks and that they they are often part of, of groups that, that share and support um, each other's ideas. So we thought, what a great opportunity if we could actually um, do this within the, the property development industry. So we we created an initiative called Building Better Cities, um, and we reached out to a number of overseas developers who were doing uh, stuff that we we really respected, um, and they were they were all so excited to, to hear from us. Um, so we kicked off earlier this year with. Um, so we've got Arise who are from Victoria in British Columbia, Canada. We've got Alloy who are in Brooklyn, New York, and um, Parabola who are in Edinburgh in the UK. And we catch up four times a year, and um, we have kind of interesting discussions and design presentations um about what each other's doing around the world and it's it's really interesting because you can explain we had to start with explaining melbourne and and how the the city came about and um how it differs to other cities in australia and um i actually had to explain this whole notion of um Pretty much since since settlement, property development and wealth creation out of property has been like linked hand in hand with Australian culture and, and what it meant. It was just it, it, it's not something that's that's common around the world, mm. Mm. and it's bred, um, yes, yeah, some, and some pretty unique attitudes towards uh, unable to to decouple this idea of um, a roof over your head and and wealth creation which we're aware of all of our work is obviously linked to so um. <laughs> it,
0: it is interesting though isn't it because it's who creates wealth and for who and when you know so like I was talking earlier that you know the cookie cutter type developer they're, they're creating wealth for themselves at the front end and then passing assets on to people that are ostensibly are wanting to make wealth out of buying them but it sort of stops there in a way for mm-hmm. many of them, not for everyone, of course, but for, for a lot of them. So, yeah, and I find that fascinating too about the attitude to property overseas and how do you think now that you've sort of got this um, collaborative, if you like, or, um, co- what do you call yourselves, a group, just Building Better Seeds Initiative, now yep. you've got that, I guess what perspective have you gleaned from from these meetings? I mean, this is quite fascinating. What what can we apply here? What where, where why where are we so u- unique, and how does it manifest in ways that are good and bad?
2: Yeah, um, I guess in terms of nuts and bolts, just understanding um, yeah, the, the, what's common and and what's um, not unique about um, the different types of typologies and and the kind of densities that that people want to live in, but. Um, it's probably as much about just it leads to introspection about well why do we do what we do here in our city or, or in our country in terms of um, yeah a method of of providing housing like what 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 is our business um, here to do we're we're really here to um, fulfil a role of of providing um, more quality housing um, as the the country's population grows it's not that's not the government's job it's 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 private businesses job so we just
1: have to understand um why we do what we do and, and how to do it better so so when you're looking at these companies around the world um what is it about them that you respect like what are the things that they're doing that we should be doing here in terms of lifting the quality i mean the reality is this sydney melbourne brisbane adelaide perth housing boom Hobart, everywhere, right, um, is creating it harder and harder for people to get a, a housing solution mm-hmm. for themselves, right? Um, and it's it's really a, at a tipping point really where people get very frustrated. If not, they're going to leave the city. And so we can't grow our cities unless we produce a better option for people to live in homes. Um, and so, you know, and that's sort of – the problem is we've got them built what we've built for the last 20, 30 years, and that's not what people really want. And so we've got yeah. to play catch-up. So yeah. What's some of the things that you're looking at around the world where you're thinking, you know what, we really need to apply that to our Australian buildings because um, that that can really provide a, a valid alternative to, you know, the houses that they can't afford?
2: Yeah, I think um, sustainability is probably one of the most um, common themes that um, is now evenly worried about and and evenly shared around the world so sustainability has really become front of mind for purchases i've found um here in the the last three to four years to to a point where people now see the value and they're actually willing to pay for it i I remember saying only five years ago um people were aware of um esd initiatives and and things that were available to them um and they thought they were good but they probably weren't willing to pay an extra dollar or or a hundred thousand um, dollars for it as part of the property. I think that mindset mindset has really shifted in the last three years, especially people now understand it um, and they're they're willing to invest in it um, personally and potentially financially. I know, like we were, we're the world leader in in rooftop solar, but um, I think that there's yeah now lots of other um european and, and north american technologies um are now becoming available to us so yeah we 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 approach sustainability um slightly differently on our projects depending um in in what area they're in but um we kind of had to have a broad brush mandate that that sustainability is as standard on all of our projects so um we, we made a commitment that, and it's not a hard one to do. We, we just sort of really just sat down. We, we have a sustainability committee at, at Milieu. We, we catch up um, four times a year and we really just tried to identify what, what was the easiest stuff that we could do. What was the low-hanging fruit that we could just adopt that people would appreciate? So one of the big ones is just going fossil fuel free. Um, we just needed something to, to push us to move from, um gas centralized hot water to to electric centralized hot water to go from gas cooking to induction cooking which is arguably a, a more premium offering and then just committing um owners corporations to to buying 100 percent green power um, but at the wholesale rate it took a bit of work like it took a bit of head scratching um to work it all out but we worked it out in the first project and and we've rolled it out on half a dozen since Mm. then and that's that's just a really really easy one that that everyone appreciates
0: but are you putting solar panels on the roofs of all your developments
2: yeah so in in addition we'd always um needed um some solar pv but we now just sort of take the mandate of um maximizing whatever available roof space there is Mm. for as much much solar as we can
0: I looked at a development um, the other week, uh, recently completed here in Sydney, and had these lovely roof gardens, beautiful. You know, one Mm. was a herb garden and, you know, these lovely soft spaces and all the rest of it. And then I sort of walked around the corner and I could see all this remediation work being done because less than a year old and it's already leaking. (laughs) So, you know, often there's this... um, you know, there's this great intention to, to do these lovely things, but the execution and the design, fundamentally, uh, waterproofing is all about design, right? Um, absolutely. As well as execution, um, it, it's all wrong. You know, like so. I guess there's there's so many challenges. Not it's not just deciding you want to have a sustainable building, is it? How yep. how do you then yeah, no. turn it into that, something?
2: You're absolutely right. So so that's been our focus for the past few years. The the next few years is is um certainly. This idea of, of quality assurance and making sure it's it's something that's probably um, uh, just not been front of mind for the industry as the, the gates really opened in in the last fifteen years in, in multi res. This idea of, of of quality construction and and foolproof. Um, design um so yeah we're working on lots of of initiatives um where we can we can improve everyone and to your point before about um what that means for for other people within the industry we just try and and um do the very best job we can and and we hope that that um that sort of means that that everyone
1: will, will raise the bar um alongside the I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? If you can build a better quality product, you start doing better because you start selling them. You start growing. You start producing more products. Other people start copying you, and then the industry starts to sort of shift down the line. Um, in terms of like the ongoing sort of uh, quality, I mean, there's not much to protect consumers, right? If they go and buy a, a new apartment over a certain amount of levels, um, you know, is there any sort of things that you guys are doing different to protect your buyers? To give them extra confidence, even though, you know, they can look at other previous projects, but beyond just saying, hey, here's the keys and, and good luck, um, you know, is there anything you guys are doing different to the industry?
2: Um, yeah, well, I mean, a lot goes for previously completed projects um, and that's, some, I guess, a point of differentiation that, that we like to, to highlight for potential purchases. So, um, we have an initiative that we do called open home. So every time that we, we finish a, a project, we, we furnish a number of the, the dwellings and we invite, um, anyone and everyone to come through on, on a Saturday before the, the new owners move in. Um, we usually, um, we'll get sort of between 500 and a thousand people through on a day, a lot of them are, are industry and a lot of them are um, just people who, who follow out our business and, and what we do. Hopefully some of them are, are future purchasers and hopefully some of them are people that um, wouldn't have considered apartment living as mm. as appropriate for them. So what it means is that, that we we get this kind of face-to-face interaction where people can come through and, um, I guess, see see the quality um, and that there is a connection between the promises that, that we make um, mm. during a sales process and actually the the end result um, and I think that's probably about the the best confidence as a, as a developer that that you can give someone so we we really just say to, to people who are unsure or 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 I say to to anyone who's who's looking to buy um off-the-plan or, or multi-residential is just education and research. Gather as much information as mm. you can about who the developers are, who the builder is, what they've completed, um, things like Google reviews or, or any kind of review platforms. Yeah. Um, because we, we trade on our reputation. So well, I met- guess
0: the big problem is that... Um, and I know this from looking at buildings and thinking, okay, if say it's five, 10 years old, who was the developer? Who was the builder? Where do you get that information? It's quite difficult to come by in many cases. And and then you've got the situation of Phoenix companies as well, you know, that developer will just basically set up a company for that. But it's called number one, you know, Wright's Road or whatever is Proprietary Limited is the actual company name. So it is quite difficult to in many times get that. So I guess, you know, if I put words in your mouth, you're sort of saying that if the developer's really transparent about who they are and who stands behind this, then it's easier to get that information. So in a way, that's a warning sign. If you can't get the information, that should give you some alarm bells. But I, th- I think, you know, the real test is like five years down the track, 10 years down the track, then you mm-hmm. have an open home. You know, because then you say, yeah. right? This, how is it weather? How is it worn? You know, it had, <laughs> has the building had issues? How did we deal with those issues? You know, that that how are you sort of giving? Well, I guess what novel ways are there of giving? Purchases more confidence that they're actually buying a, pro- a product that you stand by, and I, I don't. I'm not asking this as a sales pitch for you guys. I it's just for the listeners. I'm saying that, but more more to understand what can be done that's different. And yeah. I don't even know what you're going to tell me, to be honest. But what can be done? What can developers do to actually stand by their product better?
2: Yeah. Uh, well, I think that um, having a, an ongoing um, commitment and ongoing relationship with um, the residents, the owners, corporations. Um, if you if you ever want to find anything out um, about a potential building, talk, uh, talking to the owners' corporation manager will, will probably um, reveal a, a fair bit of, of information. Um, yeah, w- we we encourage people to 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 go and walk past or drive past um, our buildings that mm. are that are those five or six or seven years old now um we we also have another um of of our business so not where property development is is our as our primary business um early days we established um a building arm of the business to to deliver our earlier um projects that were of a, a slightly smaller scale so that's sort of five to five to ten dwellings but we quickly realized uh, that w- there was probably too many competing interests and um, we didn't want to become a construction company as well as as a development business. So after delivering the first sort of five or six um, projects, we um, decided to, to outsource the construction to others. And now we work um, with a, a really close um but high quality group of of construction businesses um who do repeat work for us uh, um and we have a a huge amount of of confidence in in their ability to deliver so there's 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 that connection as well that that people can understand as um who who built the building and and what does that that construction company stand for as well Um, We've got milieu hospitality, so um, we quickly realised um, that doing mixed-use buildings um, with commercial spaces at ground floor, that these spaces were, were really, really important for uh, the ongoing, um, I guess, amenity for the neighbourhood and, and for the residents um, and could be a great opportunity for, for um, community curation and um, enjoyment. So, um, we had the, the great idea of, of establishing a, a hospitality business. So, we've got um, three restaurants now, two within our, our buildings. Um, and that's just, yeah, I, I guess a, another touch point in terms of mm. um, how we, we're we still physically um, part inhabitating it. Yeah, part part of our building. buildings that are that are five plus years
0: old i'm interested in that mixed use thing because like you do see so many buildings and obviously we're uh, we're sydney based and you see these buildings with these office slash cafe slash commercial space underneath and and i'm guessing it's a it's a requirement of councils that they do that i'm guessing um and often yes So many of them sit empty for years. Yeah, these spaces. So clearly, there's a and and I guess with COVID too, and and the work from home movement, the, re- the requirement for a lot of small businesses to actually have an office space is pretty diminished now. Mm. So, you know, how do you? I mean, well, the first part of this question is: is that a a an imposition, a planning imposition on on developers? And so you've gone and put your money where your mouth is, I guess, and, and actually put some hospitality spaces in here. But how do you then make sure that they don't become white elephants and just you tick the box, that's what you had to do in order to get the building approved. But beyond that, you know, it's over to whoever, the war sucker that bought it.
2: Yeah, well, it, it, I think you're right. It is quite often um, a zoning control that um, commercial activation is is required at ground level. Um yeah, it's it's an ongoing um, it's an ongoing thing that, that we uh, are always working to to improve and, and better upon because we can't um, as much as we'd love to we we can't uh, establish a, a restaurant um, or a, or a food <laughs> and beverage business for every single um, mixed use development we do so um, yeah the, we whether it's um, food and beverage office um, we're doing um, a mixture of uses at our um, Brunswick East um, yep. project that will hopefully finish at the the end of next year. But um, uh, who knows with a with a two-week shutdown of construction. But, yeah, there'll be a, a multitude of, of uses there, being food and beverage uh, office and um, a social tenancy, which is, is something that we worked on um, with Moreland Council, yep. that we, we're talking with. Um, not-for-profits about um, a subsidised rent for for a community cooking school that trains up um, in one of, of the people we were talking to um, sort of new Australians who, who want to get training within um, the hospitality industry work um, with the not-for-profit so the idea of I guess curation um, is is an extra piece of, of work we're, we're very hands-on in every single aspect of of property development and project delivery from um, we do all of the development management all of all of the project management we sell all of uh, we have milieu sales business so we sell all of the the yeah. um, dwellings ourselves. You'll meet the first person you'll meet will be um, a milieu person, and, and the person who hands you the keys will be a milieu person. So that really needs to continue into this idea of of curation um, to make sure that we're partnering with businesses that that can establish themselves and and prosper, and that that works for for everybody. It works for. Um, the residents, it, it works for, for our reputation long term. Um, if we can find someone that can can establish and then those people that we were telling to go and drive past our, our building that's five or eight years old, um, they still see yeah. that that business, the ground floor going strong. That's a that's a yeah. great that's as good a, a marketing or, or sales tool that that we could come well, up with.
1: Shannon, in your experience, there's <laughs> lots of people. Um, we've got a massive problem with housing i guess that suits families you know it's um singles you know rent something they're not that bothered they may want to buy but then you know potentially there's there's lots of one bedders there's lots of studios there's lots of two bedders that might suit couples but when you start to get this sort of family formation phase there's a lot of people their only options they want to consider is a house or a townhouse um and uh they don't want to look at apartments because a lot of them are too small or they're two beds etc so how do Milu sort of think about building a product that, do you go for that target market? You know, because do you try to build lots of three beds? Do you try to make them very family-friendly buildings? Or do you, a lot of developers just sticking to what they've always done, you know, just still building the ones and two beds. Like it's a big sort of leap and the way you, you do everything changes if you think about that as your target market. So how are you guys approaching that problem? Because that's the problem that's, I feel that's going to keep on getting worse if there's not a solution for families.
0: the, the au.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I don't don't think it can sort of be mandated by another another set of planning rules that you have to have mm. X amount of, of dwellings of a certain mm. size. Like it needs to be something that's self-sustaining and and that the market can respond to. Um, but I guess, yeah, no, I, I think about it in terms of um, Again, it's, it's a point of difference between um, investor-style products where the sizes are, are kept tight um, to maintain low price points, to, to maintain rental yields. Um, but I guess investing or, or purchasing um, uh, that style of product that, that I guess – suits a a limited pool of of buyers i guess comes with its own associated risks where i guess first and foremost um occupied with trying to design and deliver good homes so by that i mean appropriate amounts of light and air storage outdoor space enduring and and durable materials that's kind of blue chip i guess in a sense for us, that's um, we just build apartments that um, are great homes, and therefore will will appeal to everyone um, as as a home. Um, in terms of who our our market is, it's quite interesting that it doesn't matter at what price point, area, or neighbourhood, or suburb, or part of the city that we um, do a project in the spread of of demographics doesn't change that much because we don't develop in the pure um, investor kind of hotspots, um, like the the kind of CBD ring hotspots. Um, The the market segments or demographic segments don't change a lot. So all of our projects um, will have one, two, three, three three-bedroom apartments the mix of those is reasonably consistent um, across those and I guess we don't go after we're not we're not saying this project is 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 suited to, to families or this is is only suited to, to first home buyers we we offer a range and, and it means that we we end up with a, a really um, great diverse natural um community in there so we've got um oh, i can think of, of of a number of um families that that live within our our projects um and they might be living in two bedroom apartments with with two kids they might be in three bedroom apartments um i i know of um i guess a, a, a downsizer um her, she lives in a in a beautiful three bedroom apartment. I know of a, a downsizer that lives in a in a in a one bedroom plus study apartment. So we don't try and get too too um, caught up or, or overly occupied on just targeting types of, of products for certain people. We're just building, yeah. How do, you,
0: how do you determine the mix then? The one, twos, and threes. Uh,
2: yeah, well, I. I, I guess it, it does um get slightly tweaked w- with the area that they're mm. the area and, and the style of, of project that we're doing but consistently um the bulk of of the mix will be two bedroom um typologies and then we just we we basically from there work out um, what the appetite for for one bedrooms might be and, and what the the
1: appetite might be for, for three bedrooms and or more. Is there a reason why? I mean, does the, it come down the cost, to... I mean, the three beds are it's it's a yeah. You know, it is something that we find that a lot of developers just don't want to go for it. Right? They just they sit on the sort of the twos and the ones, and it's a sort of growing problem where um, there's just not enough three beds. There's been a problem for decades. Um, when you're doing the the numbers on what's going to make it profitable for you and what you can sell, you're probably always going to be able to find, because you've got quality product, you're always going to have enough people to buy your one-beds, your two-beds, your three-beds. Is there a sort of financial reason, though, why you still go back to building predominantly two-beds? Um, you know, is it make more money building two-beds and one-beds for you?
2: Uh, there's a lot of factors at, at play. Um, I think... In terms of depth of market, um, two-bedroom apartments in our city fringe, middle-ring suburbs is is what's most desired. So, a two-bedroom apartment can flex all the way from um, one person buying their their first apartment um, and having. A bedroom and and using the second bedroom as a dining or an extra living or a, or a workspace um, it can accommodate a couple so that you, you have enough um room and and robe space um for for two people to, to comfortably live um, as i said we we know of um a, a family who have um primary school age children who, um, live in comfortably, um, in a two-bedroom apartment in, in North Fitzroy, um, all the way to that, that kind of, yeah, um, all the So the two bedrooms, um, suit yeah. a lot of people for a lot of, of things. And then I guess there's, there's always going to be, um,
1: smaller percentages. But is there like a financial, here. like when you're doing your costings, you say, look, if we build a hundred percent three beds we make this amount of profit if we build 60 percent two beds 20 percent three beds 20 percent one beds we make this amount of profit like is there like a because i just don't understand why developers continually to just keep going down the one and two beds when there is a growing sort of pressure on you know that family market that can't afford houses right um and is there
0: a formula is that what you're asking chris is there, is there a commonly understood formula Basically, amongst yeah. developers?
2: No, no, there there, there isn't. Um, but there are, I guess, factors or constraints that um, often push you into a, a, a mix that's not exactly perfect or, or what you might desire. So um, some of the things I can think of is um, you have to consider... Um, how many car spaces you're gonna provide depending on your mix so what we find um, is even if if we're two or three kilometers from from the CBD everyone still wants a mm. car space at least one one car space um, it's it's something that that many developers have have tried um, decoupling but yeah it's it's interesting <laughs> I don't know I, I think We've- it might be just a mindset of purchases that it's Less of a a, a wise investment if if they don't buy a car space, but we need a car space soon.
0: It's interesting you say that because City of Sydney, I think buildings, anything built since 1984, I think, um nobody who resides in that building can get a parking permit to park on the street. And yeah, then that's there's common in
2: Melbourne as well.
0: Yeah. And then the, the councils also said, well, you can't have parking for every apartment. So and I have to say there are buildings there, we got one bedroom apartments with no parking and they struggle to sell. They really yep. do. Um and so the the gap between those and those with parking is quite significant. I'm wondering, is there a higher dollar per square meter that you get for a two bedroom apartment sale versus a three or a one? uh Uh,
2: one bedroom certainly cap out uh, at a certain certain price point there's there's kind of just a a mindset and it depends on the suburb or or the area but there's it doesn't matter they can't be too big generally um (laughs) because people just have this mindset like it's one bedroom um i could go down the street and and buy a two bedroom for that price so um yeah we we certainly put a collar around the sizes um of of the one bedders to to make sure that we're responding to, to the price point um requirements um three bedrooms i guess typically um will be placed at higher levels within apartment buildings um They might be going for um, a downsizer demographic, someone who's um, generated wealth out of of owning a house um, for a long time and might be after something um, better appointed, um, higher internal amenity. So um, they're probably going to attract um, a higher per square metre rate, um, not just a higher price point.
0: But there'd be fewer buyers in that category.
2: Certainly as, fewer as, buyers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah. You're talking about depth of depth of mm. market. So we we always try and, and look at. Um, I guess we will develop up the plans and and also where where the the envelope of the building is is obviously dictated by the planning process and um, what space you're left over with. Can sometimes mm. dictate um, the size of, of or where your apartments are mm. going. Um, Brunswick East was was probably one example where um, we we have forty three apartments there, uh, and because of the building envelope, we ended up um, with the best apartments design or the the floor plate breakup meant that we had almost 50 percent three bedders um in that project but we looked at we looked at at the project we looked at the location and and the amenity and um it's sort of um it's it's facade on on all four sides plus it has um an open air circulation atrium in the middle so we thought this is is probably one of the projects that that could support um half the apartments 21 of the apartments being three-bedroom apartments and um uh they've all sold whether well, there's one one still to go but we um i just um spoke to our sales director earlier who thinks he's he's sold it
0: and that's due for completion at the end of next year that's that one
2: oh yes it, well <laughs> as of yesterday it was due for completion at the end of next year now um
1: um yeah. subject we're to lockdowns to catch, we're gonna have to catch <laughs> up sometimes do you see somewhere? any difference in terms yeah. of uh i mean the obvious ones are like oh we need a home office or um you know changes since covid right in terms of buy preferences um you know is there any sort of things that you're thinking people are really asking for i mean maybe it's sustainability you've noticed a trend there in terms of people are more conscious of materials or you know solar energy et etc but has there been some things that are, you really yep. think are going to stick around now where over the last couple of years you're really ta- changing the way that you build or the type of things your building is going to offer?
2: I think it's really underscored uh, the types of initiatives and the types of product that we were already um, championing. So I think we were talking about it before, sustainability. People um, working from home, um, as I am today, have a greater appreciation for, for how much light, how much fresh air, how much direct sunlight mm. that their home, how energy efficient, how how yep. good the heating or cooling works, have this greater appreciation over the last year and a half because they're there and they're not... Um, I used to be one of those people who sort of out the door as the sun came up and, and got home when it was dark and you didn't really father about sort of knowing how energy efficient your house was um a great certainly a great appreciation of that which means people are um interested more in learning and adopting um more sustainability and more efficient buildings and then on on the space front um i think again in terms of um really good quality designs using um square meterage um efficiently and appropriately having Great storage um, and just going like one thing that we are always challenged by is is this apples and and pears kind of mentality when people say well I want a two bedroom and we say okay well great um, our our two bedroom uh, uh, they started at eight ninety five and people say eight ninety five yes that's ridiculous I can I can get a, a two bedroom apartment down the yeah, road yeah. for seven hundred and you say well I. I I don't doubt that, um, but <laughs> please can I can we can we tell you about I guess all the things that go in in to to designing and building our apartments and and the kind of amenity that we're offering, um, and then can you go and ask the same questions about the, the seven hundred thousand dollar apartments and and come back to us when when I guess you've got a good good read of it and. Um, yeah, it, I guess it's it's underlining the the value proposition and the value that people see in saying, well, if it's a two bedroom, two bathroom apartment, yeah, I want it to be eighty five square meters, and I understand that that's going to going push it above nine hundred thousand. Um, but I'm, it's it's a worthwhile investment. It's it's a great home that that is going to um, be. Um, coveted by people in the future and and um, I'm going to be able to to resell it um, with with strong demand because it's a great home that that many people want to live in it's how we started the business and I guess that's the kind of test um, the, the mindset that everyone in in our team brings to designing every nook and, and cranny of, of every apartment is is would we live in this and and would we be proud to invite our yeah. family or friends over if i think you, we're not uh, noticing apartment yeah. well, it
1: goes to scarcity yeah doesn't it? i think we're noticing a big yeah we're it's noticing a huge scarcity. difference where clients are definitely more picky um and that's a great news for us that's what we love right we want our clients to be super picky with what they're purchased to say no to most things um and then go hard when they find the right property right and try to get a quality asset and um that usually mm-hmm. takes longer um, maybe they need to spend more than they were hoping to spend, but they get a quality asset at the end of it. But mm. I think you've made a really good point where what's driving that pickiness is they have been spending a lot of time in their home, uh, maybe in a home that they don't love, even if it's just renting. And they, uh, you know, the light and the air and, you know, what those frustrations are really when they're in that new space, they're saying, look, is this, I can't imagine sitting there all day if I am working from home and, you know, not getting any light. And I, I definitely mm. think that's flowing through to buyers wanting a better product. And that what that means is that it's kind of decoupling the market. Stuff that was the, the great assets and will continue to be great assets, um, have got even more steam behind them. And then the things that were going to struggle before, um, you know, are going to, you know, probably even less buyers are wanting them. So you're splitting the market in two. And I think developers are going to start to find that problem as well. Um. In terms of the resale value of your apartments, now this is it's highly publicized out there that, um, you know, the returns people making off the plan um, in terms of their resale value um, and, you know, the amount of money that people lose on apartments and um, in property just generally across the whole country. Have you looked at your projects in particular? You've got a good track record now in terms of, you know, it's not a couple of years, it's, you know, seven to ten years on some projects and sort of seeing how their resale values have performed to similar apartments, like you were talking there, that $700,000 apartment, you know, we know that that's probably going to resale really poorly, right? Um, but when we look at our past projects, um, you know, they've all sort of grown uh, at a slightly better rate than the market. Have you ever done any research on your apartments proving that a better quality product will resale better and actually be a greater financial return for you?
2: Yeah, it was actually something um, very early days that we we just started doing uh, um, as a hobby, I guess. I mean, um, we always had uh, as 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 part of of the vision, I guess, to be able to um, brand uh, the brand the project so that the instead of just naming them a, a, a girl's name or, or something pretty like that, that um, the projects would, would have a, a locationally based name, usually the street name, um, and that they would have um, milieu, a, a kind of endorsement by milieu that, that stays with it. So we're always interested when um, resales came up, just our, our f- pure um, just kind of rubbernecking, we, we wanted to see, oh. I'll. make selling. his selling apartment. What's he asking? What did we sell it for? And then what? It. What did it? It. Um, what did it end up selling for? And we just by chance um, saw this consistent theme, which was, um, I guess, the the journey between committing to an off the plan purchase and and moving in might be eighteen months or so, and then. By the time someone's lived in in the property for for 12 months, I guess two and a half years is a long time in in a lot of people's lives, and that didn't suit them anymore, so they were looking to move it on. And we saw a really consistent theme of about 15% growth um, from what they purchased off the plan um, to what they were selling for 12 months. And I, I don't know how it kept consistently working, but we saw it a dozen or more times and um yeah it's it's uh it's interesting and we're we're pretty pretty proud of that because um yeah i think people were, were seeing the value and and getting some capital and, appreciation. And in terms of your
1: turnover rate in terms of well you know we had a client trying to buy um an apartment in sydney last week and um you know it wasn't typically in an area that i'd want to see a client buy um so it was around that sort of Surrey, Darlinghurst sort of, um, pocket, you know, bordering on where there's lots of apartments, right? Um, but this apartment was super scarce, you know, it had a, never to be built out views. It was north facing, edge parking, good floor plan, etc. Um, and you know, what we could easily see in that building, there was very low turnover, you know, in that building. There was not many sales in the last couple of years in that building. There's quite a lot of apartments in the building still, um, and so you're saying that your number of resales in your apartment is much lower than typically you would see in other apartment buildings um, or have you done any research around that? Um,
2: yeah, they, they don't come up that often. It's, it's pretty consistent across all projects that, um, I guess, of, of buildings that are 10 to to 60 apartments, we might see uh, maybe three or four turnover in, in the first three years. Um, we've had lots of, of repeat, um, purchases as well have been in, in a position to be able to buy one, um, hang on to it, um, and then buy, um, a larger or, or smaller apartment in a newer project and, and, um, rent their, their first purchase out, um, no more consistency apart from that, but I, I think um, one of the, the nicer things to recognise is that there's never more than there's never more than one apartment um, in any any project for sale, so we don't get that <laughs> um, kind of investment grade glut where. You'll drive by a building and see yeah. four boards from four different agents out the front um, with... Um,
0: you know, some buildings campaign. actually ban yeah. sign boards, I think, for that reason.
2: <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly, because they wouldn't have any frontage left. Yeah, yeah. It
0: just doesn't look good. It's not a good look. Do you no. have a property dumbo for a Shannon?
2: A dumbo? are um, uh, probably uh, just uh, what we were talking about before in terms of... Um, People not not doing their homework and not not comparing apples with apples of we've obviously s- in in our business we we end up selling to a lot of um friends families team members i think seven seven of our team members live within our our projects oh, our wow. completed projects so we get lots of lots of really interesting feedback but um probably one that that springs to mind was um a really good friend of my mum's um wanted to buy an apartment in one of our projects she'd come to a couple of open homes she thought it was fantastic and um yeah she said she was the the typical uh great apartment what's the price oh that's that's way too much um i can get something for for way cheaper than that said fine Mm -hmm. don't don't let me say i told you so (laughs) So she went down the road. Um, she bought what what looked to be a, a great great project. Um, I sort of had known um, who the developer was and and what their what their record of delivery was like. Um, she bought it, and then I think two and a bit years later, she said. Uh, she told my mum, who told me. Can't can't get in contact with the developer. No one's returning her calls. They've got the 10% deposit. She doesn't know what's happening. The uh, sunset date's not up for another three years or something. Uh What can I do? And I said, well, first of all, (laughs) you you could have bought a million (laughs) project and you could be living in it by now. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, yeah, there's not much much Mm. you can do apart from have a good – Good professional advice, so um, employ the, the professional services of a, of a good conveyancer, maybe a, a buyer's advocate yeah. um, who can help you do that legwork um, and research and speak to people and Google as much as you can before yeah. making that big commitment.
0: Because once you've done it, basically you've got a very slim chance of getting out of it.
2: Well, yeah, they, like they, they are... Uh, Governments are trying to to favor legislation and protections for consumers uh, a little bit more. They made a few changes a couple of years ago, but yes no it's um mm. if 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 you've handed over a ten percent deposit for yeah. maybe four or five years um you're well behind the property market and the eight ball um if you haven't got a um, if you haven't got a good completed product at the end yeah.
0: of yeah I know it's pretty sad <laughs> well, let's say um Sad Dumbo. Did she end up? Has it? Is she in there yet? Oh, <laughs> was uh, still waiting. N-
2: sh- I think she's got her money back now. Um, oh and wow! So she's lost yeah.
0: x amount of years.
2: Yeah, yeah, two and a half, two and a half years out of the uh, out of a rising market.
1: Yeah, um, <laughs> and I'm still trying to sell it an apartment.
0: Uh, oh, some people cannot it is, learn. It head is interesting,
1: though. I think the <laughs> thought process happens um, even if you're buying established property. Um, you know, people find it really difficult to compare what's actually valuable, and um, they compare the wrong things. Um, they might be comparing fixtures and fittings. Oh, they're not mm. that much different, but it's the location. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, even a client yesterday was yep. saying, well, if I wanted to buy closer to the train or closer to the beach, it's going to cost me X more, I'm just going to go for something a bit cheaper. Um, and, you know, when you can sort of fast forward a few years later, you can go, well, if you did pay a bit more today, what's that going to be worth, you know? And I think people really find it hard to, to potentially pay a bit more but then obviously get a better product that they can sell one day. They find it hard to think years down the line. And, um, yeah, it is, a, it is a challenge whether you're buying established or new. It, it's still a problem. I think what we're seeing, though, is price versus yeah, yeah I what, say, what price versus value. I think what we're seeing as well, though, is uh, it, there's a huge movement to uh, frustrate buyers out there. And I think Melbourne, yeah, you couldn't look at property, um, but now you can. But, um, we've seen a number of clients uh, come to us and send us you know new townhouse developments uh, for example. And what's actually driving them to these decisions is just the frustration of not being able to buy established um, because they've been out there and they see a billboard and then all of a sudden it looks really pretty glossy brochure. And um you know there's going to be a lot of people that make that decision to buy these Easy. sort of uh, apartments or townhouses. And I think you're right. I think that what they need to go through is really trying to learn how to compare apples and apples if they are going to go down this route because um, you can get stuck like that, you know, pay a 10% deposit, lose three or four years, get poor product at the end. So, um, you know, there needs to be a lot.
2: Yeah. We, we try and, yeah, we we try and go the opposite way to, to most and we actually include um as much detail as possible in our marketing collateral, so we'll we'll tell you about all the bells and whistles, about how the the centralized hot water works, um, about how the acoustic properties or the thermal properties or um, all of those those elements work. We'll commit to the, the brand names of of the, the tapware and oh and really the, not all sanitaryware like. <laughs> because we because we've done we we don't try and reinvent the wheel every time we we, mm-hmm. um, we, we cost things appropriately and we put them in our marketing collateral and, and we stick to that. And I, I think that's something that, yeah, um, hopefully a, a lot more of the industry leads yep. um, in that direction.
0: Certainty and, and transparency. I think it's
2: you know, it's encouraging. Yeah. More, more transparency and more certainty, um, helps the whole industry, I mm. think, because more yeah. people will be comfortable with buying off the plan.
0: Well, hopefully they demand more. That's good. Consumer-led. Yeah. Consumer-led change. Well, thank you, Shannon. Really appreciate your time. And um, it's good to have insights into the ways in which some um companies and some you know some some players are actually trying to do things different and forge forging ahead in a, in a, a, a new way and i think this is great we want to encourage it
2: thank you i'm very lucky that i uh, wake up and um, love what i do every day so um, thank you very much for awesome really appreciate shannon like veronica said i mean
1: you. we are going to need to build a lot of new housing stock um not just houses apartments townhouses and I think the challenge is actually building a better quality product. And so, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how many actually join that uh, or fall back to old ways and start building investor stock because investors are back in the market now. So, um, yeah, we've got to cross our fingers, I guess. Thanks a lot, Shan. Thanks for joining us. We'd love to see you again. And remember, don't
0: be a dumbo.